guest speaker, Pastor Julian Sandoval. Is that you say, Sandoval? Sandoval. He is an awesome pastor. He has uh, planted a church right by ours, and it's called Altar Ministries. Amen. And he is going to bless us with the wonderful word. He has more than uh, 15 years. It's about 20 years of ministry experience. 22 years, so more than 22 years of ministry experience. And he's been a part of uh, great churches, and he's learned a lot. He's seen the good, bad, and the ugly. And um, he's just all good, though, obviously. But uh, he's going to tell us all the things that he's learned and preached to us. So I want you guys to get out your notes and to keep the best notes you can. This will be recorded and on the website. And from this point on, all of our SUM chapels will be recorded. For those that are listening right now, you can continue to tune in to us. So let's stand to our feet and welcome the man of God with honor and a great hand clap. Amen. Amen, my brother. Good morning. Um, I'm excited to be here today um, when Pastor Joe called me. Uh, and asked me, um, I took it as an honor uh, to be able to come and, and partake and be a part of what you guys are doing here. Um, he is a man of uh, many talents and um, an anointing on his life, and I really believe God is going to use him mightily to transform the city. Amen? Uh, today I'm going to talk to you on the call of God in your life. And um, I'll give you a little bit about my history. Uh, I was born again in 1985 at the age of 21. And it came about from um, I'd been involved in the occult. I'd been involved with drugs and alcohol and um, searching my own way for things that God was um, God was reaching out to me. And as a result, I just continued to do everything the wrong way. I had been raised in the Catholic Church, and um, to me that was enough. And then I realized after I got involved with the demonic that um, fear and torment was not a lifestyle that God really wanted me to, to live in. So I reached out to someone who I actually made fun of every day. She was a born-again Christian, and she's the one who actually led me to the Lord. Um, shortly after 1987, I went to a church that was a, actually a charismatic church, and I started um, just attending like any other regular attender would, would be, and um, didn't think I had a call in my life, didn't even want a call in my life. I was just satisfied at working a secular job and um, going to church and being a part, and um, the Lord had other plans for my life. And uh, before I knew even I had a call, um, I was just wanting to serve. And many of you might be in that position today where you started out in church and you just were serving and just going and, and just doing what you had to, to help the, the ministry go along. But God looks to and fro on the earth for a heart that is tuned to his spirit. And if you look in Isaiah in chapter 6, we see a, a position that God has. And um, he says in verse 8, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, or here am I, send me. If that's your heart here today, if that's the position you have, 
where you're willing and you're going to say to the Lord, here am I, send me, then you're in the right place. He's not looking for incredibly talented people. He's looking for people who are available, who would readily say to him, you know, Lord, in all my inadequacies, in all my shortcomings, I'm available for your service. And um, that is my key verse today. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, or verse 8, here I am, send me. That needs to be a heart cry, even when it's difficult, even when it's easy. And in ministry, you're going to have both. You're going to have your up days, you're going to have your down days. I um, was called upon to work in children's ministry initially when I first got born again. And when um, I did that, it was incredibly hard. Because I really didn't like children at all. In fact, I couldn't stand them. But um, I was required by the church I was at to serve once a month whenever my name came up. And I was even tempted at times when it was my month, you know, they went by last names. I was tempted to stay home that week. Every month, I was like, I'm going to make a plan that the fourth Sunday, because my name's Sandoval, obviously, I'm not going to go to church. <laughs> that way I don't have to serve. But then um, the children's minister sort of cornered me one day and said, we've noticed that there, you, know, you haven't served. So I said, yeah, I'll be there this Sunday. So I, I, um, I went the first Sunday. I went into children's ministry. I was put in a two- and three-year-old classroom. And there was a special needs child in there. <laughs> and that special needs child kicked me, spit on me, pulled my hair, ran out of the room, ran out into the parking lot, and I had to go chase him. And I was just like, I don't like this at all. I don't want to ever do this again. And I went to her and I said, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. So she said, well, you know, if you get on a regular schedule, then you could pick what classroom you want to be in. Maybe once a month you can serve. So I said, okay, let me do it that way. That way I can pick the class. I'll be in the, give me the fourth and fifth grade boys. Third and fourth grade boys, something like that. I can handle that. So once a, once a week or once a month on a Sunday night, I would go in and help this man teach the three and, uh, third and fourth grade boys. And after a while, I saw this guy's compassion and his heart for the children. And something started happening because I started liking these boys. I started being interested in them outside of the classroom. And I started seeing that they had a need for God just like I had a need for God. And God started a transformation in my heart where I, I no longer hated them. I started liking them. And eventually that like turned to a love. So then I went to her and I said, you know what? I, I'd like to serve more often. So they said, she said, well, how about, did you ever think of children's church? And I'm like, no, <laughs> not really. So I went in and started doing children's ministry on a, on a every other week basis. And um, she saw that I had a real um, compassion for these kids. And then next thing you know, I was over supervisor over the whole Sunday morning service. She was doing the ministry. I was just doing that. And then they had an opening. Um, and I had put on my application years earlier. You know, I had circled different things that I might be interested in within the children's ministry, and they had an opening in the puppet ministry. So she said, you know, we have somebody that just left our puppet ministry. 
And I looked at your application. I saw you were interested. I'm like, well, I don't really know anything about it. She said, why don't you give it a try? And I went in there, and I realized at that point that it was a more personal relationship you could have with these kids, and it would be a point of discipleship for them. Because you have them every single Sunday night for two hours before the service. So I started, I joined the puppet ministry, and I started seeing it grow, and I started seeing them be used by God in puppets. And I was like, this is so bizarre. But yet it was it was fascinating to me that God could use a kid with a, with a puppet on his hand to minister to those that were lost and hurting. As time went on, I ended up becoming over the whole entire puppet ministry. And then I was starting to do evangelism with puppetry. And we were going to fairs and we were going to different parks and doing puppet ministry. And then next thing you know, they started in the church I was at going overseas to missions work. And they are like, well, you know, we don't really do anything with children. And the children's pastor said, send Julian. He loves them. He loves the lost. He loves the hurting. He loves the children. So I went, my first mission trip was in 1989, and I went to Mexico. And prior to that, all they did was just hold a puppet up and say, Jesus loves you in Spanish, and that's the whole ministry they've ever done to children overseas. And I went there, and I was like, these children need Jesus. And the missionary we were with said, we never let anyone do children's ministry, because when we do, the last team we had let do children's ministry, you know, they used puppets, and one of the guys bludgeoned the puppet with the microphone. They were, they had a puppet come up looking like Jesus, and all the kids were freaking out. And we, we, we've never let anyone from overseas come over and do puppets anymore, or any type of work with the children's ministry. I'm like, you don't understand my passion for the loss and the hurting, and these children need to know Jesus because I've seen children lay their hands on the sick and they've recovered. These children in Mexico need to know the truth. And you can't just stick him in a corner and say, listen to the pastor, because he's not talking at their level at all. So he said, well, you got one minute. You can take him off for a minute, maybe two. So I'm like, I'll take what I have. So I took these kids, and we had like 37 kids the first night, and they gave us two minutes. And I went in there, and I did the whole wordless book. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's, it's a little book, and it's just colors, no pictures. And you tell the whole salvation story. And he saw what I was doing. And that by the end of that whole week, I was doing three, three services a day while the adults were only doing one. And I had like 150 kids. Next day, we had 200 kids. And we were doing separate meetings from the adults. And then they were like, oh, man, you need to come back. <laughs> so um, I, had been, I have been to Mexico five times on mission trips, Haiti a total of nine times. I went to Jamaica um, twice, the Dominican Republic once, Kenya. I've, I've had the privilege to go to Kenya two times in my life, Puerto Rico and Grand Cayman. Those are my mission trips. They're a total of 21, I think. But um, in that time, I have seen God do some incredible works in my life and through the life and the, the things that I've done. And I give him the glory because he is so awesome. Um. We're going to look today at the life of Moses. And I have some questions that I want you to write down. There are three questions. You want to be a minister. So here's the questions you need to ask yourself. Who am I? 
And then the next question you want to write down is, what is his name? And the last question is, what if they don't believe me? Or listen to me when I say that the Lord appeared to me. See, because each one of you, no matter where you're at in your walk with God, have had a call by God to tell you to do something for him. And you know what? I could sit there and, and you could come up to me and say, God called me. I'm going to say, what if I said to you, I don't believe that. How are you going to answer me? How are you going to deal with that situation? Because no matter who you minister to, you have to, you have to answer these three questions. And I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see the great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near the place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your father and the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I... um, and I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites 
and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come up, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch up my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst, in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And you shall put them on your daughters and your sons and daughters, so shall you plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like other flesh, like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of your first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O my Lord, please send by your hand, uh, by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with your and, and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, with which you shall do the signs. So Moses went and returned to Jethro his father-in-law and said to him, Please let me go. Return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. It's a long set of scriptures. But there's an incredible lesson you can learn in reading that portion, especially for you who are studying to be in the ministry. The first question I ask you to write down is, who am I? And you might sit there and say to yourself, who am I that I should go? Whom, let's say you're called to, to minister to the drug addicts here in the city of Chicago or to those that are perishing. You know, who am I? And you can look at your inadequacies and then you can look at, at your 
you know, you know your sin life. You know your heart life. You know your mind. You know where it wanders. You know where it's distracted. You know where, where there's days where you just beat up on yourself. You know, you don't even need the devil to help you because you're your own worst enemy. And the devil will, he, all he has to do is start the process. And you've been trained since you've been a kid to just believe the worst instead of the best. And that, that's where the process of renewing the mind comes in, where you take your old thoughts and change them. Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is the good and the acceptable and perfect will of God. That's the only way you're going to do it is by changing what is programmed in your head. Who am I? Who am I? You know, Julian, who am I? Who am I to go and try and reach the city of Chicago with Joe? He could sit there and say the same thing. Who am I? I'm from Louisiana. What, what am I doing? Or not even. He's from Indiana. But, I mean, what am I doing in the city of Chicago? Trying to do something against a city that is so destitute and angered toward the gospel. But yet, you have to ask, who am I? You know what? If you feel that you're qualified, I, I would say to you, if you say that you're like, I'm, I'm 100% ready. I'm ready and I'm perfect. You know what? I would say right there, you're disqualifying yourself. Because I, I find when I'm broken and I feel I can't do it, that's when God uses me the most. So, so get off your, your religious high horse if you think that you've arrived. Because it, it is a process. From the minute you get born again till the minute that you check out of this planet, that God is at work in you. And we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He says in his word, he is faithful to complete the work that he began in you. So that means there's a beginning point and there's a process. And we need to endure until the end and then we shall be saved. Who am I? That's a question. Um, if you're called, I have one question, one statement for you. Romans chapter 11, verse 25 or 29. Let me go there really quick. If you feel you're called by God, his word promises, you know what? You can't be called one day and the next day. Oh no, I'm not called. I am called. I am not called. I'm called. Uh, to, I'm not called. Romans 11:29 tells us. For the gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. If you're called, then you're called. It doesn't matter how the day is, what circumstances are going on in your life, what circumstances are coming against your ministry, no matter what is coming against you. You know what? If you're called by God, then settle it as an issue in your life and then just keep walking. I've taken a lot of hits. Joe and I have taken a lot of hits. You know what? I, I've been told this last year I had an or two years ago, a year and a half ago, I had an incredibly hard time in ministry. And the fact that I'm standing here today is not because of my my strength. It's because the strength of God is in me. Because you know what? I've been kicked down by the best of them. But it is God who picked me up and said, you know what? You're, I'm not done with you. I could sit there and, and you know what? <laughs> there there are polls, and I'm not a poll person, but I hear the polls all the time of how many ministers are leaving ministry every year. They're leaving. They're just giving up. 
Some are falling into sexual immorality. Some are leaving because they're given up. Some of them are, you know, it's, it's hard. This city is a hard city to reach. I know you guys go and you evangelize and you give out stuff to the people and they just take it, take it, take it. And then when you're done giving, then they're like, well, we don't have any need for you anymore. Or you go out and you hand somebody a tract and you try and open the door and start speaking to them and they just like stick their hand up and, or else they just ignore you or they just keep walking or else they take it from you and then throw it on the floor. And you, you can get discouraged. You can be like, oh, man, am, am I ever going to win anybody to the Lord? If I went by that, I'd quit. But he says <laughs> we are to sow the word. One sows another waters, and a, th- a third one will, will reap a harvest. So we're just planting seeds, and we're planting seeds, and we invite, and we go, and we go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. My question to you is, are you called? <laughs> then settle it now. And then start walking. Don't give up. Don't quit. You know, well, what if I do better on a test? Just pick yourself up and keep going. Bible school is not the end all. I mean, you just keep going. What if, you know, they don't receive me? Well, just keep going. You know, I when I went when I first got born again, my brother spit in my face. Then, then, like later on, I was home, and he got upset when my parents got born again because he felt we were betraying all our ancestors and the Catholic heritage we had. So he came into my bedroom, and I was sitting there. <laughs> I was 21. I was home from college for the weekend. And he said, so you're a Christian? I said, yeah, I'm a born-again Christian. And I had this sandwich on, on my um, desk. And he took it, he picked it up, and he, <laughs> and he rubbed it in my face. He said, turn the other cheek, Christian. And inside of myself, I wanted to hit him. I mean, this is my brother. We had problems our whole lives. And I always, it was easy for me to get up and fight with him. And I, I balled my hand into a fist. And I was like, here's where it's going to take, you know, the deciding factor. Either they're going to believe what I say or I'm going to act differently and prove him, prove him right. So I just relaxed my fist. And he walked out of the room. I wiped it off. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is the beginning. John chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples unto myself. That is our task. That is our commission, to lift him up, to lift him up before all men. Moses says to, to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Like I said, if you feel inadequate to fulfill the call on your life, it's because you are inadequate. I don't have, you know what, I, have, I can do puppets. I can tell stories. I, I'm, I can talk in front of people. But that is not enough for me to fulfill the call in my life. What, I can, what, what empowers me is what makes me adequate. I can't rely on my own stuff. I can't rely on my history. I can't rely on my experiences. I can't rely on any of that. 
It's a daily me going to God and getting fresh bread from him to give to the people. I, I had the privilege and opportunity one time to go to a conference where David Hogan was speaking. I don't know if anyone knows who David Hogan is, but he's raised people from the dead. And a lot of people are like, oh, wow, David Hogan, you're awesome. You raised people from the dead. And they, like, try and puff him up. And he says, you know what? Don't look at me and say, you've raised so many people from the dead. He goes, you don't know how many people we've buried. The numbers are not (laughs) equal. He goes, I keep asking myself, what in me kept them from rising? What unbelief did I have? Where was my short shortcomings? Well, at this conference, <laughs> David Hogan was there, and then another woman of God named Heidi Baker. I don't know if you know who she is. She's a missionary in Africa who multiplies food for the or- orphans. And I was there, and I was just like a children's minister. I was a children's pastor, already ordained. And I was just sitting there, and I'm like, I just want to receive whatever they have. And I got into the prayer line the first day. And um, I was kneeling on the ground, and I was crying. I'm a crier, so I mean, I was crying out to God, and I was like, Jesus, just I just want you. I want more of you. I want anything that you have for me. And she came, Heidi Baker ministers, not like anyone I know. She was crawling on the ground. In fact, when she started the service, we're sitting there, and all of a sudden I hear, kill me, Jesus, kill me. And I'm like, where is this person? I never, I had never seen her before. And, and all of a sudden I hear, kill me. And I'm like, okay, am I in the right place? She's asking God to kill her. And all of a sudden I'm like, where is she? And then my pastor said, look over there, she's on the ground. And there she was, she's laying on her face. And she says, because if there's anything in me that keeps me from you, I'd rather be dead. Kill that which is in me so I can have more of you. So I'm like, I want whatever she has. So I got in the prayer line, and I'm kneeling there, and I'm crying, and I'm crying. And she comes up to me, and she, she, well, she crawls over to me, and she puts her hand on my hand, and then she looks at me, and she goes, you teach children. So right away, now I'm listening. She got a word. She has a word for me. And she said, you need to go. Every day, and get fresh bread to give them. Every day, fresh bread. And then she moved on. <laughs> so I was just like, oh. <laughs> so I wrote it down. I'm like, I have to go every day to get fresh bread. Every day. And I have been. So then, the next day, David Hogan speaks. Different type of minister. He sort of is in your face about everything. And he's like, you don't have what I have. And he's going out and he's like, ah, I fast and I pray. And I'm like, <laughs> so I get in line for prayer because I, I want what he has too. You have to always look for people who have something you want and then sort of hang near them. That's why I'm hanging near your pastor today after this. So, he gets in line. And, you know, I'm sort of afraid of David Hogan because he's sort of intimidating. And he's, like, walking by, and he's like, oh, and he's, like, freaking me out. And I'm like, 
And I'm like shaking. I'm more afraid of him than I think I am of God at that moment. Because I'm like, what's he going to do? And he's just like, I'm Fredo, Fredo. And everyone's like flying all over the place. And then he comes up to me and he grabs me. <laughs> and he doesn't even say fuego. I'm like, <laughs> So then he takes me by the hand and he starts walking with me. And he started dragging me. And he's like, going, Fuego. And he knocks it with another Fuego. And he still has me by the hand. I'm like, what is he doing? He hasn't done this to anybody else. He's just got me. Fuego. Fuego. Then he looks at me. And he goes, you work in the jungle just like me. Except yours is concrete. And mine is grass. So I'm like, okay, you have my attention. I'm freaked out already. Because it's like, I didn't tell him I was from Chicago. He had no idea where I was from. I'm in the middle of Ohio, uh, Idaho, at Salmon, Idaho, at this conference. And I'm like shaking. And he goes, you need to go every day, every day and get fresh fire for them. Sound familiar? <laughs> fresh bread for fi- fresh fire. Then he goes like this. He balls up his hand and he punches me in the stomach. <laughs> and he didn't punch me light. I, I think he knocked the wind out of me. I'm like, <laughs> and then I fell out in the spirit, and I was out. <laughs> I mean, I was out for the count, and I was just like shaking. And I got up, and I'm like, <sighs> my journal, journaling is important. It, it's a mile mark. You know what? In Book of Revelation, chapter twelve, it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Your life, not only God, God doesn't work. It is by the blood of the Lamb. But you know what? Your testimony has a lot to do with it too. It's, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of his testimony, of your testimony. So I write it down. And that is my, that is my two scriptures I go to. Or not scriptures. <laughs> not even scriptures. Those two statements. Go every day and get fresh bread. Go every day and get fresh fire. And if you're not, then you're giving them manna, which is day old. And as a minister, as someone who's called by God, you need to go every day into the holy place, to that fresh place, and get a fresh word from him for those that are perishing because they're perishing and they're dying and they don't know him. And what are we doing? It says, how will they hear without a preacher? So we are to proclaim. Preach means to proclaim. We need to proclaim what God has done in our lives. I don't know how to. You have a testimony? What did God do in your life? That is your testimony. That is what you preach. I was, sin- I was a sinner. I was lost. I was hurting. I was on my way to hell, practicing divination, seeking out the, the spirits. And you know what? God intervened in my life and saved me from a life of destruction. That is my testimony. And whatever you're dealing with right now, God has an answer for you. Well, if you're depressed, God can free you from that with joy unspeakable. If you're suicidal, he can give you hope for new life. If you're, if you're angry, he can come and heal the hurt. Who am I? Then I should go. When Moses tried in his own strength to do the work of God, he was able to deliver one. Remember that? There was an Egyptian hitting one of the Hebrews 
And he went up and he, and he killed a guy. In his own strength, he was able to deliver one. But in the anointing of God, he was able to deliver a nation. So we need to get into that anointing and plugged into his presence. And when you have God working with you, you can deliver a nation. That is the truth. Don't try and do it on your own. You know, have you started by faith in him, with him, and now trying to do it on your own? No. Who am I? I'm just a person that's available. Moses came up with excuses. Now you have to know who are you. Second question, what is his name? You know, if you don't know who he is, which all of you should, you need to get to know him better. First Samuel chapter 3. First Samuel chapter 3 sort of intrigues me because in verse 1, it says, the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord. Verse 7 says, Samuel yet did not know the Lord. Sort of, sort of weird. And that just goes to show me one thing. There are a lot of people who are serving in churches who don't know him. You know, they, they're in children's ministry. They're in usher's ministry. They're doing a whole bunch of stuff, but yet they don't have an active, vibrant relationship. They, they wouldn't recognize his voice if he came up to him in a burning bush. You're like, what is that? The voice of God would come out, I am the Lord. And you're like, I never knew you operated that way. First Samuel 1, verse um, First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, says the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord, and yet, verse 7 tells us he didn't even know who he was yet. And that shows you can do the works of ministry and still not know him. Ministry is not what you do, it's who you are. If you're in this room today, it's not, you're not a minister because of who you are. Oh, I ordained you, now you're a minister. The reason I got ordained, you know, I didn't even want to be ordained. I was doing children's ministry, and, and my life was full of children's ministry. This was my life. Sunday mornings, I had to get up. I was part of a mega church, okay? Sunday mornings, we had a satellite church in Naperville. Our mother church was in Tinley Park. So on Sunday mornings, at 8 o'clock in the morning, I would already be on the road driving to the Naperville Satellite Church to do children's ministry. As soon as I said the last amen in children's church, I'd get back in my car and drive all the way to Tinley Park for the second service. Come back at 4 o'clock for the puppet ministry session. 6.30 was the service I actually sat in. I actually sat in a service once a week. That was 6.30 service. Mondays, I would go and do orphanage ministry which the Lord put on my heart to do. I started going to these different homes. that They're not really orphanages. They're sort of like words of the state. No one can handle, so they put them in these places. So I started this ministry. I started raising up people. I'd go and train them what to do, and then I'd leave them. And by the time I left, that church, because they sent me someplace, we had seven orphanages going Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, two on Thursday, 
one on Friday and two on Saturday. Or something like that. Or one on Saturday. Tuesdays, I was coming into the city because they were going to start a satellite church in the city of Chicago. And I was doing children's ministry for the pastor there. But it was just a Bible study at the time. Wednesday, I'd go to service and do children's ministry over there. Thursdays, I would go to Bible school. Thursday nights was my Bible school day. And Friday was the only day I had to get my wash done, <laughs> to get my clothes, you know, to get everything together. Because Saturday was evangelism day for children, for me. And I'd be in the streets from 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning till 5, 6 in the afternoon. And that was my life. And you know what? It didn't bother me because I wasn't doing it in my own strength. You'll get burned out. You know the difference between a minister who burns out and a minister who doesn't? The presence of God. These ministers who burn out, they burn out because they haven't been with Jesus. I'm an empty vessel. I'm just a conduit. And if, if you get in your mind and in your heart the position that, I'm a conduit. You fill me and use me whenever you so desire. You'll go forever. Like the energizer bunny. But when you start thinking, oh, I'm not, what about me? Well, what about my, you know, I have a life. I need a, I, you know, I don't even get to go to the movies or anything. When you start looking at yourself instead of the one that really matters, that's when you'll burn out. So I just would go into the holy place every day and seek his face. What do you want me to do today, God? How do you want me to handle this? How do you want me to? And you know what? And in the middle of all that, we had training meetings and I had all this kind of crazy stuff. Ministry is an overflow of who you are. Not, it's not anything else. The question, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? God didn't tell Moses what to say. He told him what to do. You know what? If they don't believe you for what you say, then show them. Because, you know, words are cheap. But when you're willing to leave your house... At 2 in the morning because a youth calls you and says, I'm depressed and I need something right now. And you just leave. My mom told my wife before I got married, you know, you're marrying Julian. And Julian is willing to do whatever it takes to help anyone. And she said, I know that. And she's like, no, you don't. You don't know what I'm talking about. Because he's got youth calling him all the time. And he drops whatever he's doing. And Miriam was like, my, my wife Miriam, she was like, I, I know that. And she's like, no, you don't know that. <laughs> my mom was like emphatic, you don't know. And like what, like seven months ago, we were married, This we were already married, and I had a youth call, and he was suicidal. And I picked up the phone, because you know what? I told my wife, you know what? My phone is on 24-7 unless I'm preaching. It would be rude. Oh, hello? Uh, so I don't do that. 
And all of a sudden, it was like 2 in the morning, and my phone rang. And she's like, you left the phone on? I'm like, yeah, I did. So I answered it. I'm like, baby, I'm out of here. And she's like, okay. She went up to my mom the next day, and she goes, I know what you mean. But I And I called another youth to go with me, and we went to this other youth house, and we ministered to him. Because you know what? It doesn't matter. You're on call 24-7. Well, I have a day off. Yeah, I have a day off, but I hardly use it. Today's my day off. Where am I? I don't care. <laughs> what difference is it? You know what? I find my rest in him. I find my strength in him. I'm speaking to you guys and hopefully empowering you to realize that, you know what, you're stepping into something that is forever. And if you get discouraged, I want you to encourage yourself in the Lord. Because I've had bad days, and I mean bad days. And I had, like, bad years. But I've had more good than bad. And I think sometimes God uses those bad to perfect me. Not that he made those things happen. But he hones me and he perfects me. And just like a diamond with pressure is formed, so your ministry is formed. The, the, the hardships that come into ministry are just a squeezing to make you into the diamond God wants you to be as a minister. If they doubt you, you answer their doubts with the demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost. That's your solution. We're never going to be able to argue. You know what? You can argue a person to get saved, but are they saved? I could, you know what? I'm a good debater. Your pastor is a good debater. He could, he, me and him, we could sit there and debate a point for hours just because we want to, not because we disagree. Because he's a really good debater. He probably could beat me. Because I'm a little bit more emotional. I'll be like, okay, I'm tired of this. I quit. <laughs> it is not by your persuasive words. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter two verse four. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. I'm here to tell you, when you go, you're not going to win them by your, you know, I went to Bible school. I, you know, I know hermeneutics and I, I studied, you know, I, I can tell you what the word pneuma means. Okay. <laughs> Clap. I'm happy for you. So you can tell me, you know, how many, you know, agape, um, eros, <laughs> 
Phileo. You can tell me all the different names for love. Ooh. You can tell me the Romans rode and spit it in my face. The ABCs of salvation. Accept, believe, confess. Ooh, we got it. But you know what? (laughs) Jesus didn't have a formula. He was led by the Spirit of God. What would compel him to pick up mud, spit in it, and then rub it in someone's face? He'd speak to someone who was possessed. You know what? I hear all the things to do and not to do. Don't touch a demon-possessed person. Okay, well, why should I be afraid to touch a demon-possessed person as if the Holy Spirit in me is going to move over and let him in? I think that's goofy. (laughs) And yet I've seen books written about that, the how to expel a demon. I'm being facetious because I don't think there's a book that way, but there's a lot of them, and I don't want to single out anybody. I've been to Haiti. I've seen kids levitating off the ground and hitting the ground. Come off the ground. Boom. 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 You know what? (laughs) I can sit there and try and convince the person to get saved. Or I can just, by the demonstration of power, say, in the name of Jesus, come out. And the girl went, boom. (laughs) And she didn't do it again. There was a little girl. This is a Haiti story. A little girl who had been buried alive by her parents. Then they took blood of chickens and sprinkled it on top of the dirt. And they asked the spirits to possess their child. Because to them that would be an honor that the gods would possess their child. Well, (laughs) I'm teaching children's church in Haiti in the back room because that's where they always stick the children. I'm in this back room and I'm like, you know, helping them to learn the difference between praise and worship. And I was teaching on praise stills the avenger. So I'm teaching that, and all of a sudden, they had delivered the girl in the, in the sanctuary, but they didn't lead her to Jesus. So she got demonized again, <laughs> and I'm teaching, and all of a sudden, she comes running and throws herself into the middle of my room and says, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, <laughs> in the name of Jesus. And I'm like trying to get the, the translator because the kids all of a sudden are like, ah! they're all like freaked out. And they're all screaming all in, in Creole. I don't speak a word of Creole. Besides, which is God is the eternal. So they're like all freaking out. And I'm like, tell them to praise the Lord. My translator's like, ah! he's freaking out. I'm like, tell him. And I hit him. Tell them to praise the Lord. So they started praising the Lord in their little language. And bang, the girl stopped. And it was a it was a demonstration of power. And they did it. I had just been teaching on praise stills the avenger, and now they had an object lesson brought to us by the devil. So then I came over to the girl, I said, In the name of Jesus, come out of her, and I touched her. Taboo in some books. And he came out of her. Then I took my translator and I said, tell her, repeat after me, say, in the name of Jesus. She said, in the name of Jesus, I received your forgiveness. And I just led her in a simple sinner's prayer. I said, do you want this? She said, yes. She said, we, or whatever. <laughs> I don't know the language. 
It is in demonstration of power, not by your words. God told Moses to throw down his rod. A rod is a symbol of authority. He was a shepherd tending his flock. You know what? The sheep all know what that rod means. God said, throw down your rod. And I'm going to challenge you today. Until you run from your gifts and your talents and your abilities and all those things, you're not ready. Until you're ready to lay it all down and trust him. Then he'll use those gifts and those abilities and those talents. But if you rely on him, you know what? It's like saying, well, in, in case God doesn't show up, I have these things. No, 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 no. You rely this way. Then he comes down and he uses those things that he's given you. Don't be like Moses. I, I can't speak. You know what? God takes, you know, which I think is really crazy. Because he was learned, the Bible tells us, he was learned in the ways of Egypt. He didn't have a problem speaking. But yet when he's confronted by the presence of God, all of a sudden he's like, I can't speak. Jeremiah, I'm a child. I'm a youth. You know, the rich young ruler. You know, I, I followed all those things since I since I began, since I was a kid. He faces Jesus. What must I do? He says, you know the commandments. I've done all of them since I was a child. Well, then go sell what you have. This is Jesus operating in the spiritual gifts, knowing what owns the man. Give it to the poor and follow me. The man walks away. He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. What an evangelist's dream salvation. But yet, you know what? I find many ministers going and pleading, oh, come on, just join my church. You don't have to change. Jesus let the man walk away. I don't care what prestige he had. You know, Jesus didn't care what he looked like or what he had authority. He let him walk away. There's a book that's called Today's Gospel, Synthetic or Real. It's a, it's a, it's a, a book that expounds on that story. And he talks, and it's Walter Chantry is the author. And he says in that book, basically, you know, today's ministry, that's the people we target. Because they bring in a tithe, they have authority, they have influence. You know what? Jesus let him walk away. Are we willing to let him walk away? Because we want, you know what? God wants a pure church. He wants a holy church. He wants a church that's set apart. If you have to let them walk away because they're unwilling to change, then let them walk away. Because one day he's coming back for a bride. And you know what? I think in Luke he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? That's a sad statement. 
will he find faith on the earth? One of our youth had his word the other day, and he said when, well, he had it as a status on Facebook, and he said, when God comes back, is he going to come back and think he lives in the house of mirrors? When Jesus comes back, is he going to look at everyone? You ever see the house of mirrors where the, the mirrors are all warped and sort of looking at everyone looks sort of like, yeah, you can tell that's the person, but in a distorted way. Is that what Jesus is going to come back and he's going to look at you and say, yeah, you're not representing me right because you're not a reflection of me. You're a twisted reflection of me. Where are you today? Are you reflecting him? Are you showing yourself to be a reflection of the one who made you? Because you need to be. You need to be one that reflects him accurately and represent him accurately. Because you know what? They're watching you. Your family's watching you. Your unsaved family's watching you. The lost are watching you. And they're waiting for you to make the mistake. Because you know what? It's funny how people who aren't saved know what a Christian's supposed to be. And then when someone gets saved, they're like, oh, I, don't, I, you know, I can do this. I can do that. It doesn't matter. Uh, how do they have a better definition? Don't let them define your Christianity. Let this define your Christianity and you be the Word of God to them. Minister. That means you're a servant. You're in servant school. You're not in a, oh, I am like the great Harry. You know, I, I know this happened to him and it happened to me. When I went to Africa, it's like I could barely close my Bible and there'd be somebody standing there. Let me carry that for you. And, you know, it's like I'd go to reach and, and take my glass of water. As soon as I got done, they'd pour more. <laughs> you know what? I'm not there to be served. I want to see them served. So don't get haughty in your ministry. You want to know how I survived all these years? By trying to stay as low to the ground as I possibly can. Worship is just getting on your face. And if you're not on your face, then you shouldn't stand behind the pulpit. My life is not even my own. I was driving home with one of my friends. She wasn't saved at the time. And 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 she's like, you know what? You need to get control of your life. You're like doing everything for God, and you don't even have a life. I said, that is my life. And she's like, this doesn't even make any sense to me. This is somebody I had grown up with, I was raised with. You know, I've known this person since I was four years old. And here I was, 22, 23 years old, driving in, in the car with her. And she's like, you need to get control of your life. I said, I have no control of my life. So she stopped the car, pulled over, and said, get out. Get out. Get out of my car. What do you mean you don't have any control of your life? Do you even know? You sound stupid. I said, I might sound stupid, but I know who I serve. One time I was dressed as a purple clown, okay? I used to do this clown called Not So Bright. I had this purple hair, a purple outfit. I looked like a big old grape. And I'm ministering way in um, Englewood, in the neighborhood of Englewood. And I'm ministering, I'm doing children's ministry. And this guy looks at me and he's like, you're a fool. He didn't just say, you're a fool. He said uh, a derogatory word in between. And he was from the church I was ministering at. And I looked at him and I'm like, 
I'd rather be a fool and do this for God. Because God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You know what? I would say to you today that you need to serve God 100%. A lot of people serve him 50-50. They serve him 50% and have him meet them halfway. That's not a relationship. God gave 100% to you. Even while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Even when you were in opposition to him, he gave 100% and invested 100% in you. It's time you started giving him the same, the same return. 100%. My life is his. My life is hidden in him. When you think that you, you can do it all by yourself, and you know what? Well, I'm giving God because, you know, then he's going to give it to me. And press down, shaking together, running over. You know what? Give it all to him. It doesn't matter. I'm not talking about just offering. I mean, give him, give him your life. We're willing to tithe money, but we're not willing to even tithe time. I'll give him Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, or Sunday mornings and Friday nights, or Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. Or, yeah, Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. For crossover. But ask me to go to home group? No, that's not. That's my time. Get over yourself. Stop being selfish. We serve a kingdom that is not of this earth. So stop trying to compare the two. Stop it. What if they don't believe me? Then show them. What if they don't believe that first? God says, show them a second sign. He stuck his hand in his, in his, in his cloak, pulled out it was leprous. Leprosy always represented what? Sin, uncleanness. You couldn't go in God's presence with that. You know what? Then he put it back in and it came out and it was clean. You know what? If they don't believe the first time, let them believe the second sign. Your changed life. Let them believe, you know what? That guy used to he used to be in the bars all the time. Now he's not. Let them see by who you are that you're different. The greatest gospel that they might ever see is what you what you are. Not even your personal testimony. They might not respect your miracles. You can convince them by your transformed life. There are eight things that God will supply you with when he calls you. Well, there's probably more, but I have eight little ones. First of all, he'll place an emotional investment into his calling. A hard investment. You'll be consumed with your people. For a long time, you know, I'll, I'll use this as an example. We went to Bible study. One of my friends has a Bible study on, on Friday. He had a, a sort of big group for a Bible study. There's around 15, 20 adults. There's like eight children there. And what they usually do is just let the children go play somewhere. Well, my wife is called to meet the needs of children. And she's sitting there. 
And she looks at me, and she looks at the kids, she looks at me, and she's like, I can't, I can't, I can't just sit here. They're just going to let them go and play? What, while the adults are banqueting on a feast of the word, the children are going to go and be neglected? It was consuming her. That, during worship, she's like, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? And she's like, there's kids, there's kids. And I'm like, well, what, they might do something with them. She's like, no, no, they probably aren't. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I just let her sit through this struggle inside of herself. Then they broke up, and they're like, you know, the kids were sitting there. Some weren't downstairs, and, and she's like, uh-uh. <laughs> so she stood up, and she goes, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to take the kids downstairs. So she took them all, and she taught them, and, and they were like, you're amazing. And they're like, we've never had anyone do anything with them because they don't get along. And I was like, they always get along when I'm with them. It doesn't matter what kind of kids they are. She's got an anointing and a call. You know what? He places an emotional investment into his calling. She dreams and lives and, and aspires to do children's ministry. It's in her. We go to a family function. Where's my wife? I'm like, where is she? Oh, there she is with the kids. That's her emotional investment. It's in there. For a while, you know, I was accused. Oh, you don't even want to have friendships with the adults. All you want is hang out with the youth. That's where I'm called. That's where I'm going to be. That's what I want to, you know what? I'll take any moment I can have. Well, what if they're rebellious? I don't care. I'm going to ostracize them because they're rebellious. (laughs) You know what? If I'm not there to even say anything positive in their life, then they'll have that whole time to just feed off each other's negativity. Here I am. I'm in the middle. I'm like, here I am. (laughs) Hi. Second, he confirms the call through others in authority. I got ordained. I was saying this earlier. I didn't want to be ordained. But those people that were over me said, you know what? We're going to ordain you. I'm like, I don't even want to be ordained. And they're like, well, we want, you know, you're going to be a pastor. I'm like, I don't want to be called pastor. Like, it's not for you. It's for them. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? I mean, what's going to be different? They're like, nothing's going to be different. We're just recognizing what you're already doing. So they laid hands on me. They called me pastor, youth pa- children's pastor. Then they ordained me again and called me youth youth pastor. Moses, in the portion of the scripture we read, went to his authority, Jethro. May I go to my people? You remember that last verse we read? May I go? He said, Go. He was released. Moses recognized, or Jethro recognized the call of Moses to deliver the people. We don't read much about Jethro. He gives him two points of advice. There he releases him. Later on he gives him advice on how to deal with all these people. In verse 18 of Exodus chapter 4. Third, he will supply him with a mentor. Don't 
Don't underestimate the value of a mentor in your life. When you're called, God's going to put people in your life that are going to speak into your life, and they're not always going to speak what you want to hear. In fact, people who have mentored me, <laughs> have I, I felt beat up when I've left their presence at times. But you know what? It's always been for the good. It's like, okay, well, you know what? This is wrong in your life. It's okay. You know what? Thank God for those people who are willing to take the risk of losing the friendship or the or the relationship. Because you know what? If you try and do it alone, ministry is lonely. I had this pastor say, he used to preach, he said, being at the top is lonely. I'm like, what are you talking about? When I find myself in the same position that he was in, I'm like, I understand. Many are, many are called, you are chosen. If you're sitting in here, it's because God's choosing you to go to the next level in your relationship with him and eventually lead someone. And as a result, you know what? Sometimes you're alone. Because everyone under you wants to do something that is not right. You stand alone. Welcome to go to Not everyone is committed Online to pray like you do. Maybe. I will continue next week.